In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. It's good to see everyone this morning here in the middle of the summer. When we left David last week, he was in mourning over the death of his son Absalom. In the intervening chapters, we read that he returns to Jerusalem and widely shows mercy to people. We read then about the rest of his reign. There's a rebellion led by Sheba of the tribe of Benjamin, but Joab leads an army and quells it. He repatriated the bones of Saul and Jonathan from the Philistines. David writes psalms and gives advice. He numbers the people and then realizes he's doing it for the wrong reasons and repents. There are interludes in these chapters about David's mighty men, listing the great and valiant deeds of some of David's warriors in war. And then God tells David to buy land, land that had a threshing floor on it in the area around Jerusalem, and to set the ark up there for his son to one day build the temple on. Finally, as David is near death, his son Adoniah declares himself king, and when the news is brought to David, he anoints Solomon as king. When Adoniah hears this, he runs to the altar and grabs hold of it and begs Solomon for mercy. Solomon agrees as long as his brother is loyal and worthy. And David, as he's on his deathbed, gives Solomon advice on who to trust and who to deal with. Now we read this morning of David's passing and Solomon's ascension. And as I was reading the rest of First Kings chapter 2, the heading in my Bible was, Solomon consolidates his reign. This leads to a series of stories that wouldn't be out of place at the end of a Godfather movie. He takes David's advice, and all those people that David said had nothing to fear while David was alive, Solomon took care of as his father told him to. We read that Solomon married one of Pharaoh's daughters to cement a treaty, and then we continue with the Bible, saying this morning how Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David only, only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The high places that we see mentioned here and we see mentioned often in the Old Testament are literal high places. They're outdoor altars that were built on the side of a mountain or on a very high hill, but they were built by the Canaanites and by the Philistines to worship Baal or one of the other Canaanite gods at. Now, since they had often heard from God on places like Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb. There's a certain amount of logic as to why the Jewish people believed that since they couldn't get to the temple or wherever the ark or the tabernacle were, maybe it would be okay to go up high and worship God. But that's not what God wanted. We do read at times as the tabernacle moved around, it would be on Gibeon where Solomon is this morning. But the last we saw of the Ark of the Covenant, it was sitting in Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say that Solomon brought it with him. That's why we have this only right there in Scripture. But God, God in his mercy, sought Solomon out where he was, even if it's not where he was supposed to have been. And he asked Solomon what blessing he wants. And Solomon, who is 18, 19, 20 at the time, Solomon asked God for something a bit unusual. If it would have been Saul, we know what Saul would have said. Lord, Give me victory over all my enemies. Others would have asked for riches or for a long life and a long reign. But he asked for an understanding mind to govern your people, 
to be able to discern between good and evil. Now, if you read other translations in the English, it'll say a listening mind or a hearing heart. Solomon didn't ask to be the smartest person in the world. Oh, that's usually, though that's usually the, the, Bible, the Bible story we get out of Sunday school, right? Who is Solomon? David's son. He was the smartest man in the world, right? People came from all over the world to get his wisdom. But he want, what he asked for was the ability to listen and to truly understand someone's situation. That's how he wanted to govern. And God's response is, that's a good request. And because you ask for the right things, I'll give you that wisdom, but I'll also give you the riches and the victory too. And then God gave him some advice. If you want a long life, live like your father. The unspoken indictment here is not to be at the high places. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. We begin this week like we began last week, repeating the final verse we read in the previous section. I think these are here to emphasize how interconnected and how important this set of reading is to us as Christians. But remember, for the hearers, everything we've talked about the last three weeks is one conversation between them the day after Jesus fed the 5,000 on the mountainside. And the people that are here now talking to Jesus were there for that. The Bible reads, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? In listening, and with the events of Monday, Thursday not yet fully revealed, his his hearers seemed to take his statements literally, that Jesus was going to offer them his literal flesh and blood. And remember, just a few verses before it says that they were just saying, this is Joseph and Mary's son. How can he say he came down from heaven? They think Jesus has maybe been out in the sun a bit too long at this point. But Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. Now we know that Jesus is talking, at least in part, about the Eucharist this morning. But I think equally as importantly, he's talking about the centrality of himself and everything that we do. Read a quote that I actually almost ran Gene over to find the book that it was in so I could have it for you yesterday. And it says this In the Eucharist, we deepen our relationship with Jesus, not mechanically, but by becoming more and more like him over the years. We meet God in his mysterious and dramatic way. God gives himself to us, and we try to shape our lives into a loving gift back to God. Our psalm this morning. He sent redemption to his people. He commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who act accordingly have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. We've heard this morning of God's redemptive work towards Solomon, chasing him down and finding him, even when he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But God sought him out and answered his prayer. Jesus was sent to the world to be the bread of life, to feed us spiritually. Again, 
when we weren't where we, we were supposed to be. And today we see the focus of Jesus as the heart of the church's experience. We may rightly hear this morning in our gospel the claim that an abiding relationship with Jesus himself is the heart and the gift of the Eucharist. Because without Jesus, everything we do here is nothing more than clashing symbols and, and just emptiness. However, it's primarily about Jesus himself as the food of the eternal life from the Father is what he's trying to get across. Because of the food from heaven, we have eternal life, but then how do we live as Christians? That's what Paul's dealing with this morning in his epistle. When he says, be careful how you then live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, in modern times, we tend to look at wisdom as part of the accumulation of all human knowledge. Thanks to the printing press, human knowledge has been readily available since the days of Gutenberg. Scientific advancement has flourished. Do you realize it only took 66 years from the day Orville and Wilbur Wright flew that 120 feet at Kitty Hawk Beach in North Carolina to when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped on the moon? Now, I could spend time this morning waxing eloquent on how our knowledge has advanced, but look instead at the wisdom Solomon asked for, the ability to listen and understand what others are going through or maybe even truly understanding what we're going through. That's something we've lacked as our human knowledge has increased. And Paul says that with wisdom, we're able to understand what God's will is. And we no longer feel like we're just there. We're just existing, wasting our time. And then he says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times, and for in everything, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's easy to focus on the do not in that sentence, to simply avoid the sin. Do not be drunk with wine. There, I said it, it's true. Don't be drunk. But that's the more straightforward part of living in that sentence. The harder part, the deeper part, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in all of us when we come to Christ. How do we live deeper? Paul says here it's in singing spiritual songs and giving thanks at all times for everything in Jesus' name. Elsewhere in Scripture it talks about praying, that if we pray the Spirit will help us. Jesus said in the Gospels the Holy Spirit has come to guide us if we listen. We see in the book of Acts that part of the guidance was God leading his people to those who were need to hear about his Son. And Paul says in Corinthians that we're now the temple of God where the Spirit dwells. And Paul's subsequent statement about it is that we should live like the Holy Spirit lives within us. We come to Christ not just for eternal life or means of fire insurance. We're part of the temple of God on earth, part of the family. We're called to grow in Jesus and be full of the Holy Spirit and grow even deeper in Christ. Because of that, we can be as N.T. Wright the retired Bishop of Durham has said about this passage that those in whom the Spirit come to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. As we grow deeper in Christ, it's not just for ourselves, so that our light can shine ever brighter and bring more into the kingdom of heaven. Amen.